Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 499 for the 14th of Nissan in a regular year. The other day, I was taking a walk in Prospect Park, and I came across an artist, this man who was set up with his easel and he was painting. From the angle by which, at which I was walking, I couldn't actually see the, the picture. All I could see was the artist and the back of the easel. So being curious, I decided to, you know, take a little peek and see, you know, how good is this artist? Is, is he actually good? You never know, you know, like what, what is he painting? What, what is this all about? So I casually kind of walked, you know, around and I took a little peek once I got to the other side and I saw that indeed this artist was phenomenal. He was painting this really beautiful scene that looked like so realistic, these trees and, um, and grass and, and water. It was just really beautiful. And I couldn't help myself. I walked over to him and I asked if I could take a picture. And he was really appreciative. He said, yes, for sure, you can take a picture. So I said, okay, great. So I took out my phone to take that picture. And he said, wait, wait, wait. He said, you know, don't you want to get that whole, that, that part? I, I didn't know what he was talking about at first. And then I look up and I noticed that he actually had been basically copying the whole scene, the whole nature scene that was in front of him, the, you know, the, the grass and the trees and the, and the lake and all that stuff. It was like an exact mirror image of this exact location of the park that he was situated in. It was really quite beautiful and really phenomenal. And uh, if there's a way I can figure out, maybe I'll try to post the picture I ended up taking in the show notes. So it was really incredible. And, you know, afterwards I felt kind of silly to not have thought uh, originally that this is probably what he was doing, um, you know, but I'm, I'm not an artist. So it's not something that I think about offhand. But either way, it was just, you know, it was a very incredible experience to me. And it got me thinking about this idea of perception and about how it is that perception, especially when it comes to visual perception, really composes two very distinct parts. There's the aspect of visual perception that is purely just a uh, you know, a, a visual phenomenon, meaning it has to do with your eyes. Like if in order to see whatever it is in front of you, your eyes have to be open, your vision needs to be working well, all of that. Or in my case, I needed to be situated uh, not in back of the easel, but in fact, in front of the easel where I could actually see the painting. Um, but then there's another aspect of visual perception that has to do with intention, with noticing, which with looking at specifically in the right area. Like it's not that my eyes weren't capturing um, visually the scene that was behind the painting, but I didn't notice it until I was, uh, I was made to pay attention to it. 
it's really amazing, actually, the way that vision, vision works, if you think about this. And this is actually something that makes vision very unique amongst our senses versus pretty much um, any other sense. So often in Hasidus, there's, there's contrasts that are made between hearing and seeing. So when it comes to hearing, and you know we have that whole uh, episode about when a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? And we concluded that no, it does not make a sound because sound, in order for there to be sound, there needs to be a perceiver of that sound. Otherwise, it's just sound waves. But the thing about sound is it's it's a lot simpler if you think about it. Like if you're in a forest and a tree falls, that's the sound that's being made and that's the sound that you hear. And that's that, you know, there's not like, sure, if your sound is a little bit more attuned, maybe you can hear like the the more subtle, like chirping of the birds and the leaves rustling and stuff like that. And if you get more and more attuned, you can become more sensitive to the sounds around you. But it doesn't require the same, like noticing the same paying attention um, to specific, like listen to this sound, don't listen to that sound that vision does. And, uh, and actually, when it comes to our vision, we're actually doing this all the time, like our, our, our eyes are bombarded with so much stimuli, that, um, in fact, it's quite amazing that we're able to make sense of the world around us and see distinct entities and things that we need to focus on in order to go about our day. And in fact, sadly, there are actually some neurological and uh, psychological disorders that mess with this system where the person might have perfect vision, 2020 vision, when it comes to actual just sight, but yet there's a huge problem with their perception where they're not able to make sense of the world around them and they don't know what's real, what's not real. They don't know what to focus on. They're not able to uh, attune their vision in that way. So the bottom line is that vision, perception, when it comes to vision, really comprises these two components. There's the actual seeing with your eyes, and then there's the actual noticing, which in other words, we can call intention. And as we'll see in getting into today's Tanya, this translates really well into understanding how it works with our uh, perception of godliness, with our perception of the illumination of godliness. And so if you've been following along in the last little while, you know that we've been talking a lot about intention, this idea of intention, different types of intention, lack of intention, good intention, bad intention, all kinds of things like that. Um, today, we're going to go on a little bit of a tangent with it all, where the ultra is going to address this kind of question of why is intention so important? Like, when it comes to Torah, we know that Torah and God are one. And so if Torah and God are one, and we know that God is everywhere, and there is nothing devoid of God, like we've learned about this already in the Tanya, then shouldn't it be, if you learn Torah, then your intention shouldn't matter all that much, because Torah is pure godliness. It's God's will and wisdom. So it should be that, you know, learning Torah just taps you into this infinitude, taps you into this omnipresence of God just like that. Like, why is intention so important? And I think that understanding this, uh, this analogy of, you know, the way that of, of the way that vision works, the way that I saw this artist in the park, and the two things that happened there can really help us to understand this. So as we'll see in the text, which we're going to get into soon, uh, the ultra is going to explain all of this by explaining to us the difference between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. And while on the one hand, it's true that God and godliness is everywhere and in everything, and there is no place devoid of God. This is true 
uh, in like an ultimate essential pers- perspective. But then it has, then there's the aspect of perception and how these worlds actually perceive godliness. And that's where things are really different. And um, as we'll see, the perception of godliness, the perception of the illumination of godliness is different in the higher worlds versus the lower worlds in two ways. The first way is in terms of the actual illumination. The illumination in the higher worlds is greater. It's less inhibited. It's more just like straight up. And the illumination in the lower worlds is a little bit more constricted or a lot more constricted, we could say, especially as we get lower and lower into the worlds until we finally get into our lower worlds. The second way through which these levels are different is that in the higher worlds, there's less veils that conceal the light versus in the lower worlds. The more you go down into the further lower worlds, there's more veils that conceal this light. And when we learn Torah, What happens, even if we're learning Torah without any particular intention, because Torah is so connected to God, is really just one with God, then this causes this uncovering of the veils. So even if we're learning Torah here in this very low world, which is really conceals godliness, there's like a lot of veils, a lot of very opaque veils here in this world. When we learn Torah, this uncovers the veils. This makes the veils um, open up a little bit. And in terms of my analogy of um, of seeing of, of the sight, if we go back to my experience in the park, I would say that this is like, you know, me just actually walking around and moving so that I could see the front of the painting instead of seeing the back of the painting. Like I literally, like as much as, you know, if I, I could have the best intention in the world, but if I'm still standing in such a way that I can only see the back of the painting, there's no way that I'm going to be able to see the front of the painting. I had to move to make it so that my eyes could actually see the front of the painting. This is like the idea of learning Torah. You sit down and you learn Torah. Like if you don't learn Torah, there's no way you're going to be able to uncover those veils. It's not, you know, you're not putting the stimuli in front of you. You need that stimuli of Torah to get you to move away those veils. But then we have the second issue. We have the idea of the constriction. We have the idea of the constriction of the light. And the constriction of the light does not get affected simply through learning Torah just like that in a bland, neutral way. We need to have intention when we learn Torah. Having that intention is what allows the concealment, the constriction of the light to become lessened to the less constriction of light. Just like for me, when I was in the park, I had to intentionally shift my focus so that I was able to notice what I hadn't noticed so far, which was that scene behind the painting. And that is what allowed allowed for this um, greater illumination of the light, which allowed me to perceive more of what was going on. Now, the second second aspect isn't really, the ultra doesn't really get into it so much today. Today, he really focuses on these two, the differences between these, uh, th- these two levels, the higher worlds and the lower worlds, and how it is that when we learn Torah, what this does is that it, it uncovers the veil uncovers the blockages, the um, screens that uh, that obstruct the illumination of light coming in. So let's get into the text and I think it will be a little bit more clearer as we go as we go. And for context, we're continuing chapter 40 today, which we began yesterday. And so the Ultra Rebbe begins by telling us that indeed it's true that Torah and God are one. And what is it that we've learned about God is that God fills all the worlds equally. 
Nevertheless, even though God fills all the worlds equally, we know that there are different worlds. Like, you know, why, if, if everything was just exactly the same, exactly equal, we wouldn't have to make distinctions between the different worlds. So what's the difference between the different worlds? The difference between the worlds, says the Altarabe, is in terms of the recipi- recipients. In other words, in terms of the perceivers. And this difference is in two ways, in two aspects. So the first way is that the higher worlds receive a greater illumination uh, to an infinite degree than the lower worlds. So that's the first difference between the two. The second way that these two are different is that the higher worlds receive this illumination without so many cl- uh, garments and, um, and masks and veils like the lower worlds do. And when we talk about our worlds that we're in now, this is the lowest of all the worlds. And so thus, when we talk about our lowly worlds, then it's low in these, in both of these two respects. On the one hand, the illumination that we're receiving down here is extremely constricted to the nth degree. And this is why it's so coarse and so physical. This is how we're able to have this physicality here. And, um, and not only that, is it is the illumination that we're receiving um, constricted in such a manner. The illumination also comes to us in a way that it is clothed in um, garments and in these veils uh, to the point that we know that actually this illumination actually becomes vested within klipas noga, which we spoke about before, the the, uh, the husks, in order to um, give life to everything in this world, all the, all the, all the pure things in this world. Um, meaning like, for example, the animal soul of man, right? So, um, so this is so. So, of course, we know. So, just as a little side note here, of course, we know that also even the impure things in the world also are illuminated by God. But there, that happens in a more backhanded manner, as we've discussed in previous episodes. But now we're talking about more how this illumination comes down in a way that it's not a backhanded manner, but it is nevertheless still concealed and very much constricted. And that's the experience that 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 illumination is what is um is what is manifest within all of the things in this world that are not evil, so to speak, but they're just neutral. They're permissible, you know, like all the food that we eat that we're allowed to eat. Um, you know, we could use it for good purposes. We could use it for bad purposes. It's neutral in nature. Um, and so, uh, and so those things have this illumination within them that is, uh, very godly and it is pure godliness, but yet the, the illumination comes down in a way that is extremely constricted and also is couched in these veils, in these, um, in these vestments. And so now the ultra is going to tell us what happens when we speak words of Torah. So Torah is, uh, you know, something really different than everything else in this world. Because whenever we speak about things that are not Torah, like when we just talk about random stuff, this all is in the, you know, how was your day? What did you do today? You know, I'm going to the store, blah, 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 like whatever it is that we're talking about, just like the kind of like day to day, neutral things of life. This is all the realm of the animal soul. And this realm of the animal soul has these concealments that we've been talking about within them. Um, Which again, even though God is truly everywhere and God is illuminating down here, nevertheless, he's doing this in a hidden way. He's called Kelmistater. That's a a citation from Yeshayahu chapter 45, verse 15, that God is a God, a hidden God. Um, So this this is the usual way of affairs in this world when we talk about random stuff in this world. But when we speak words of Torah, it's a whole different story because the words of Torah are not of this world. The words of Torah are holy and they are directly connected to God. 
And so thus, when we speak words of Torah, what we're doing is it's a really interesting thing. We're using our coarse mouths, we're using our coarse bodies, which are the realm of Klipas Noga, to speak something which is beyond this world, to speak something which is really holy. And what happens in that case is that this Klipas Noga, remember, because it can go either way, if you've been following along the podcast, it can go down into the realm of unholiness, if we use our speech for bad things, God forbid, or it can go up, it can be elevated to the to a good place. And so when it's elevated to the right place, then what happens is that the the veils get um, go away, that we start to uncover the veils. And we start to remove the concealments, these opaque concealments that, uh, that we're covering up the Klipas Noga. So it's kind of like a way for us to get beyond, see beyond the veils that are usually here in our world. However, in conclusion, the Altar Rabbah tells, tells us that nevertheless, even though, okay, we've succeeded in kind of like moving out of the usual veils that conceal the illumination of godliness here in this world, um, the illumination that they're receiving is still contract, contracted by virtue of the fact that it's still physical. So we're still, you know, we're still using our physical voices or physical mouths to speak these words of Torah. So it's so we haven't really succeeded in totally breaking out of this constriction entirely. Uh, and that's where the altar leaves us off for today. And as we'll see tomorrow, that the remedy for this is bringing in intention, bringing in this idea of kavana, we call it in Hebrew. And so going back to our analogy of, you know, being in the park, again, there's these two components. There's the idea of removing the veil, which is simply like, you know, learning Torah, because when you learn Torah, then you're tapping into something which is beyond this world. Um, just like for me in the park, again, the Havdil, these, none of these analogies are ever 100% perfect, bear that in mind. Then I had to actually just like go and turn around and go, you know, to be able to be standing in front of the easel instead of behind the easel. And now I didn't have that same veil that was, um, I was able to move beyond that usual veil that would have separated me from seeing this art. But yet I wasn't able to fully get the full radiance of the art without bringing in my uh, my intention without bringing in my focus in the right direction and that focus and that intention is something that the altar rep is going to talk about more about more tomorrow and the effects of that and, and what happens there so stay tuned for that and i will speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarit switzer this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather abraham yitzhak ben benyamin cohen of blessed memory music by shoshana if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And until then, have a great day.